0: This episode is being brought to you by The Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3.8 million members and supporters working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. And now, on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Marianne Hitt, a climate activist with
1: The Sierra Club living in the West Virginia hills.
0: And I'm Anna-Jane Joyner, a climate activist living on the Gulf Coast of Alabama.
1: And this is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. This season, we are bringing the light.
0: In times of high anxiety and strife, people often turn to their faith or spiritual traditions for strength and guidance. So that's why we're exploring spirituality this season. We're gathering voices and
1: perspectives from all different faith traditions and all different forms of spirituality to give us wisdom on how we can all take better care of ourselves, one another, and this planet in the face of the climate crisis.
0: And this week, we're going to get right to the heart of climate anxiety and how spirituality can help with Sarah Wilson. she struggled with anxiety for most of her life and writes about it beautifully. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, First We Make the Beast Beautiful, A New Journey Through Anxiety. And Anna-Jane, she spoke with you from Australia, where climate change has
1: given people plenty to be anxious about over the past few months.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to share our conversation with you, Marianne. But first, let's hear from one of our listeners. We put the call out to you, dear listeners, to share passages, prayers, or quotes from your spiritual or religious traditions that have helped you face the climate crisis.
2: Hi. My name is Hélder, and I'm from Tegucigalpa, Honduras. i like to read the poem, The Guest House by Rumi. It helps me deal with anxiety, depression, and other climate-related afflictions. The Guest House This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor welcome and entertain them all even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture still treat each guest honorably he may be clearing you out for some new delight the dark thought the shame the malice meet them at the door laughing and invite them in be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond
0: So what I love about Sarah Wilson and what made me want to interview her for this bring the light season of No Place Like Home is that she reframes anxiety as a kind of spiritual quest.
1: Okay, I need to stop you right there. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think most people think of anxiety as like something to be avoided at all costs and something that is very stressful. So tell me more about anxiety as a spiritual quest. What does that mean?
0: First, I just want to clarify that there's like kind of two, I mean, there's many kinds of anxiety, but there's two that I will differentiate here. One is like actually clinically diagnosed anxiety, which Sarah Wilson does have. I've also been diagnosed with anxiety, but that is like a medical and mental health diagnosis. And then, of course, there's like general anxiety that we all experience from time to time Sometimes those phrases can be used a little bit too casually. There's obviously some overlap, but I do want to just point out that there is an actual medical diagnosis and then there's kind of more the commonly experienced anxiety. Okay,
1: so with that then, that's part one of my question. My Part two of my question is, how in the world is it a spiritual quest?
0: Sarah told me this fascinating kind of story uh, that she came across in her research where basically there's always been a percentage of the population throughout history that is... Um, demonstrably more anxious than the rest of the population. And that actually is true for like primates and some other species as well. And we think of these people as being crazy or all over the place or super anxious all the time, but they actually serve a really important evolutionary purpose. Like because they're constantly looking kind of on high alert for threats are often the people who see the, the big threat or the tiger in the woods or maybe the climate crisis first and kind of bring that back to the community and say, hey, we've got to pay attention to this. They've studied like communities of primates, and they found that when you take the kind of more anxious individuals out of the community, then the community will actually die out or disperse. And actually, she pointed out that a lot of spiritual leaders and a lot of like historical, like wartime leaders um, are believed to either have had some kind of form of severe anxiety or bipolar disorder. So the way that she talks about it is, you know, rather than this like kind of bane on our individual existence or on society, anxiety is, you know, plays a really important purpose in our communities and our societies and actually can give us kind of superpowers and that we are more, a little more alert and awake to these threats and perhaps more likely to act on them. And that can be super beneficial. And then also, and I can speak to this just from a personal place, dealing with severe anxiety, you do have to grow a really thick skin. Um, It's a pretty scary thing to go through. So I think that there is a lot of sort of wisdom and courage to be learned from people who have gone through that experience. And I think the kind of crux of it for Sarah is she sees her anxiety as kind of driving her towards a spiritual connection and spiritual questions and, and answers.
3: You know, I mean, there's a lot of spiritual thinking and a lot of philosophers that refer to anxiety as a fundamental and existential yearning to understand sort of our uncertain place in this world. And it really is existential. So you can sort of see that the spiritual search in many ways is a search to alleviate our fundamental anxiety. But it's also anxiety that takes us on that search and probably sees us probing deeper than we might normally
1: Wow, that's fascinating. I do think we think of it as more of a one-way street as you're feeling anxious and so you turn to a spiritual tradition to alleviate your anxiety, but not so much flowing in the direction that our anxiety is actually leading us on that search and pushing us out of our comfort zone to to other insights. I mean, you know, speaking for myself, I feel very fortunate that I haven't struggled with any kind of acute anxiety i mean i think i experienced the levels of anxiety every sentient human you know right now is experiencing but you know i just i think it's important to say that if you don't suffer from you know extreme anxiety or some of these other challenges that that is not to say that you have less access to spiritual wisdom or something i think that's definitely not what I'm taking away from this conversation. But it is, you know, a way of, of reframing those kind of feelings for, for the, and those kind of experiences for those who do have them.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly I think her experience was, it was right around the time that she was first diagnosed with anxiety, when she was 12, that she actually started getting really curious about kind of the world's religions and spiritualities. Um, She was raised in rural Australia, and her family is Catholic, but they weren't sort of dogmatic. Her parents were just very open-minded and let her kind of dive in and explore a bunch of different faiths as a kid.
3: So I'd go to a Baptist, an Anglican church. I went to the Hare Krishnas, the Scientologists, and I was on this mission. And I would have been 12 by this stage to kind of understand what was going on and who God was and and where we came from. So in some ways, my introduction to spirituality was something I did on my own. And it continues to this day, to be honest. I don't subscribe to any particular faith, religion, or even spiritual text as such. I'm constantly exploring it and trying to trying to find it for myself. And yeah, I arrived today at you know, in my, in my mid to late 40s. And I probably find that nature is my main spiritual kind of practice.
1: Well, that is a familiar theme with a lot of our guests and of this season, a thread that is, I think, running through almost every single one of those episodes, which is probably another reminder for us as we are all facing our own forms of anxiety, that that can be a place to restore us. I know that's something that you and I both share.
0: It is like a therapy. Like, it's as good as any kind of medication I've ever been on to alleviate anxiety. Um, even last night, I was reading the news and, like, you know, kind of doing the Twitter thing. And, like, so often in these moments, just feeling overwhelmed with all of this crazy stuff happening in our world. And I was like, oh, I just need a breather. And I walked outside, and there was this little bullfrog that was just hopping across the garden. And I immediately like it immediately just brought me back to the present moment and grounded me like, yes, the world is on fire in literal and metaphorical (laughs) senses of the word. But there's also so much beauty here and there's so much aliveness. And and that really did kind of just almost have an immediate effect on the anxiety I was feeling And I think there's also a pretty big flip side to that. Like when we feel disconnected with nature, when we're not spending time outside, when we're throwing our ecosystems that support us into disarray, it's no wonder that that affects us on an emotional level.
3: Like I say, I mean, I think there's this disconnect that we feel, a fundamental disconnect. And, And you can see how this actually segues pretty neatly into also the climate grief and despair that we're all feeling but also how we've ended up in this place where we haven't respected our earth our home we've been disconnected from it for many generations now and it's playing out and I think it's a very much a reflection of what we're feeling internally but yeah there's this sense that we are disconnected fundamentally from from why we were put here
0: Yeah, I think that's the foundation of a lot of Sarah's thinking and how she sort of connects these dots that we as earthly creatures kind of know instinctually that something is wrong and something's wrong with our planet and our relationship with it. And that realization can trigger anxiety in both kind of an acute way, but also a sort of pervasive anxiety that we've really seen play out. I mean, anxiety and depression and other mental health disorders are are just skyrocketing right now especially amongst, you know, kids, those of us who struggle with this pervasive anxiety are just maybe a little bit more attuned to the existential threat of climate change or feel it more acutely and deeply than maybe some of us do. And that can often result in kind of taking a spiritual journey to, to really figure out how we face these existential crises. And that's definitely what it's meant for Sarah.
3: Spirituality, I feel, is probably going to be the most useful tool because, let's face it, however bad this situation gets and no matter what your thinking is as to whether it's human caused or not, it's almost a moot point because life is fundamentally going to look different. I think we're going to have to have a dialogue around dealing with that kind of grief, that really sustained grief that doesn't have an end point. When, when a person dies, a loved one dies, it's final and then we get to grieve and we can actually make that a finite process to a certain extent. Grief for the environment and what's happening to our planet, it's ongoing. It's sort of pervasive and chronic and infinite and uncertain and uncertain. We don't know what this cascading kind of demise is going to look like. And we're going to have to, I think, refer to spiritual notions around creation and destruction as a beautiful, important part of all life. So, allow yourself to feel the feelings and the grief and everything. And it's a little bit like anxiety. You might remember this bit in the book where I point out that a panic attack lasts 20 to 30 minutes. That's what the science shows and and experience shows. Most people can handle 20 to 30 minutes of that kind of pain if you know it's going to end and pass. Now, it only passes if you sit through it and don't fight it. And I have this sort of mantra do anxiety once because the worst thing that can happen is you get anxious anxious about being anxious about being anxious about being anxious. So do it once, do the grief once, recognize it. Go, I'm currently grieving or I'm currently overwhelmed and this is too much for me. And it's a hard thing to do because when you're overwhelmed, it's hard to know that you're overwhelmed. But identify it, feel it, sit in it. It'll probably pass in 20 to 30 minutes and move on and see it as a responsibility.
1: Well, that's a pretty profound insight around the reality that this grief And anxiety and mourning around what's happening to our planet is going to be ongoing and pervasive, basically, and we're going to need to find ways to cope and to show up. And so, you know, I'd be curious what else she's doing, what other lessons she's learned from dealing with anxiety and panic attacks that could actually translate to even maybe those of us who don't experience that, but are definitely experiencing this kind of chronic anxiety about the fate of our world.
0: I mean, she's been wrestling with anxiety since she was a child, and she's in her mid forties now. So she's she's just been through it, you know. She's had major depressive episodes, manic episodes, um, it, it affected her work and her life and her relationships. And along the way, she has learned all of these tools about how to navigate, you know, severe anxiety. That I think are. Quite applicable to to how we sort of all navigate these feelings of despair and terror and and overwhelm, and some of the just kind of concrete things that she does, you know, it's it's a lot of the stuff that you you would think she's very dedicated to meditation. She's a relentless hiker and and walker, and just tries to get outside into nature as much as possible every weekend. She's even started a movement in Australia like Hike Don't Shop to try to get people outside and also decrease consumer shopping because that's not great for the environment. She also swims in in the ocean in Australia, sometimes even in uh, shark infested waters. She's a very brave and courageous person, which I think is probably partly her personality and partly just like having been through it in life and um, just kind of coming at it with this desire to really live life. She, especially the past couple of years, has moved away from sort of this internal, more reflective way of of wrestling with anxiety and really kind of looked outward about how to help others in the climate movement process anxiety and also use that anxiety to spark change and to inspire action. So she gets a lot of strength in just sort of good old fashioned protests, you know, getting out on the streets. There's another
1: podcast I've been listening to I love um, called Sunstorm, uh, hosted by Ai-jen Poo and Alicia Garza, two incredible women movement leaders. And on a recent episode, I forget which one of them talked about how another good form of self-care is winning. Mm, <laughs> I love that. And, uh, you know, basically that, you know, we think about self-care as all this, you separate yourself from everyone else, you meditate, you go on hikes, it's all the sort of internally facing kind of stuff. But fighting for justice, getting out there on the streets and then winning, you know, in a big or small way is a great antidote to this overwhelming anxiety that we're all feeling. So I just had to, I just had to drop that in there because I bet our listeners can uh, appreciate that. And it definitely has been true for me in my life. So, but anyway, back to the things that she's
0: doing, because this is a great list. She would uh, sure 100% agree with that. And she's actually working on a book now that will come out this year. Her last book, Make the Beast Beautiful, was really about how to grapple with anxiety as a spiritual quest on a more personal level. Super helpful to people like me and, and anyone, any of our listeners who also experience kind of the more severe types of anxiety. Her new book is really more outwardly focused. So how do we wrestle with this kind of global anxiety, but also use tools that she's come across to build and inspire the the climate movement. But she says, I love this, she says, action begets action, hope begets hope. And then I think the other really important thing that she would definitely want to be make clear that she is not anti-medication or modern medicine at all. She does take medication as needed for her anxiety and bipolar disorder, but she also really advocates not just medicating away the anxiety, but really trying to get to the root of the philosophical and kind of spiritual underpinnings that are creating the anxiety.
3: It doesn't need to be something that we medicate into, into submission. There's got to be a better way to handle it. And it's, and it's working with that lovely, balanced, interconnected matrix of life. You know, it, it seems perfect that we have a certain number of people who are highly sensitive. Now, it's not great when you're one of them all the time, but I tell you what, it actually helps when you suddenly go, ah. Oh. We're we're all right. We we're required, you know. We we are purposeful. Um. So those kinds of investigations and what I found when I obviously spoke to people on the book tours is they found it very comforting as well. And I like to quote Nietzsche, once you have your why, you can handle any how. And that's what I have found. Once I know why, once I learned why, I have these questions, these yearnings, these sensitivities, this particular kind of pain I was actually then able to handle it a lot better see it as a beautiful thing make my beast beautiful and then use it constructively and I use this phrase in the book and make anxiety my superpower
1: her superpower I love that what a radically different way to look at the world
0: as someone who struggles with anxiety and has my whole adult life, at least it was diagnosed, I probably struggled with it as a kid too. It just wasn't diagnosed. I think I have often kind of fallen into that trap that a lot of people fall in when dealing with mental health issues of feeling like guilty or ashamed, like I sh- I'm a smart, capable person. I should be able to overcome this. I loved that she just totally flipped that and was like, no, like there's actually a reason that you have this and it can be an asset to the world around you. You've probably heard Greta
3: Thunberg refer to the fact that before, you know, there's been criticisms that, you know, she's um, a person who's got this mental disorder and therefore we shouldn't be allowing her to go out there and be so vocal and it must be dangerous for a girl with those sensitivities to be so exposed. And her point has always been, well, before getting involved in a climate fight, she was at home, self-harming. Unable to speak to people, unable to go to school, as depressed as all can be. And then she started to get involved in this and she found her purpose. And I almost feel, and this is, I don't know if you feel this way or whether any of your listeners do, but I almost feel that I was made for this era. I was made for this time. My anxiety has been precisely the right kind of launch pad for where I land now. And it's equipped me, for instance, to have pretty thick skin, to be quite unifocused to be very tenacious, to also shut out criticism and the trolls. And, you know, I come from a very mainstream background, as you know. I was the editor of Cosmopolitan. I worked in mainstream television. I worked for News Corp, the Murdoch Press for many, many years. And so I've copped criticism. But my anxiety and the battles I went through with it have equipped me for this moment. And I almost feel that, for, you know, it's, it's kind of the era for the anxious,
0: I, like, so love this and relate to this, like, especially having gone through some, like, pretty intense mental health struggles um, the past few years, particularly right after the election, but kind of smaller bouts here and there. It is a battle. like It is, it is honestly the most um, intense and stressful thing that I have gone through as a person. It, it does. It gives you a, a lens on the world where it's, you have less tolerance for the bullshit. You're really focused. I totally get it. Like I do, I have developed a thick skin. And even as I was in the midst of going through some of those battles, I remember kind of feeling that the universe was saying like, you're going to come out and you're going to be stronger for this. And this is an important part of the process. And not to say that uh, I wish it on anyone I don't. And I'm also a huge advocate of not only exercise and self-care and less social media or whatever you need to do to stay sane, but also medication, because that's been a big part of my journey. But I think one of the bigger challenges for people who are kind of very aware and anxious about climate change and have been for a really long time is to kind of be strong for all these newcomers to the movement who haven't been paying as much attention or just now waking up now when it's it's far scarier now than when I first started paying attention 15 years ago and we're really going to have to kind of join hands and help them wrestle with a, an existential fear and find kind of strength and courage in the midst of a lot of anxiety.
1: Yeah, you know, we've seen a lot of that over the past year with the uh, climate strikes and the release of the the book, The Uninhabitable Earth, and I know you and I have both been irritated by this sense that when people wake up to climate change, that their response is being policed somehow, that, you know, you're scaring people or you need to you need to calm down. You know, it can just be easy to say, hey, yeah, finally, welcome to the party, better late than never, and kind of be cynical about it. But uh, it really is a gift. And I think as we've been talking about in this interview, the fact that people are not just connecting to this in their heads, but they're connecting to it in their hearts. I mean, that's what this anxiety is a, a sign of. It suddenly has landed inside of them in a really profound way that we are in a lot of trouble and we're running out of time. And we have got to be better about wrapping our arms around everybody who is just waking up to this, who's just coming around, uh, because we need everyone in the fight. And if we make them feel, you know, Small, or if we're dismissive of people's anxiety, um, or if we, you know, like to preen our feathers and, you know, show off our big peacock tail of, you know, how long we've been doing this, you know, it's just it's not welcoming people in, and we need everyone in this fight, and including all of their complicated feelings.
0: Yeah, I mean, I really think that the climate movement is going to have to invest a lot more in psychology and mental health and helping people. I mean. Deal with a a really intense, scary, anxious, existential crisis. (laughs) Sarah absolutely sees this growing anxiety as a symptom of the age that we're living in, the era of catastrophic climate change, among many other crises it's
3: forcing us to actually question what life is all about. I mean, young people are making decisions as to whether they have children, they're making decisions about their career, all based around this, because we are now confronted with what is life about? What matters? And that is what spirituality is. It's a fundamental questioning and reconnecting and realigning with just that question. And the wonderful thing about spirituality is that it Is in the asking of the question, you often find your answer. The answer is the need to just ask these questions. So it is a very fundamental spiritual chapter in our human spirituality. And at my darkest moments, that's how I see it. I, you know, follow some Vedic principles, and there's these Sanskrit kind of concepts of uh, maintenance, destruction, creation. We've been in a period of maintenance. Of opulence, comfortability, you know, post-industrialization, etc., and this is a phase of destruction before there may be a new form of creation. And um, it's not stuff that we are comfortable with talking about, but the spiritual traditions are, and so we're going to need to turn to them. It's the most fundamental, all-important, beautiful spiritual quest I think that humanity will ever face.
1: Well, that is powerful, Anna-Jane. What a powerful way to think about this work in front of us.
0: I mean, I think that's it, right? It is It is in some ways the most important, biggest spiritual quest that humanity has ever been faced with. Like, how are we going to overcome incredibly difficult odds and build a more beautiful healing world that doesn't keep harming people? And I think and how are we going to hold each other through these like major societal and ecological transitions and yeah i i do think that that my anxiety in some ways has driven me to crave spiritual practices and narratives and stories that help ground us and focus and and give meaning to our life and give us purpose and i do think that that has absolutely influenced my climate activism you know even going through these periods with with anxiety and and depression i think in in a lot of ways they made me pause and they made me kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture because i wasn't kind of caught up in in the hamster wheel as much and that had profound and powerful implications for my climate activism it, it gave me some of the best thinking and ideas i've had in a long time and i and i'm not saying we should all you know go through a big bout of depression and and stop working for three months. But I do think that, you know, the reality is that we are dealing with a giant mental health crisis in addition to a giant ecological crisis and and societal crisis. And we have to look for stories and narratives and ways that we can use that energy and make our work better and also just get through it together. Well, Anna-Jane
1: thank you i want to thank you as your friend for being one of those people who is speaking out and maybe getting a little out of your comfort zone about this yourself because i think it shows a lot of courage and it makes me really proud to be your friend oh thank you so um thank you for this conversation with sarah wilson because i think that a lot of our listeners will find comfort in it whether they are themselves struggling with anxiety and can maybe look at it through a new lens as their newfound superpower um, or whether they're loving and supporting somebody who uh, is going through it as well. So I I am here for you.
0: No. Yeah, this is a special one. I mean, they're all special, but this one is very special to me. And thank you for for having it with me.
1: I hope it helps lots of our listeners out there. We are here for you and we want to hear from you because we're all in this together. So thank you, Anna Jane.
0: Thank you, Marianne. Thank you, listeners. Hey, friends. Before we roll to the credits, I just wanted to give you guys a quick and related life update. Um, As many of you know, I have struggled with my own mental health challenges over the years. Um, I've been pretty open about that because I really think we have to dismantle all the stereotypes around mental health. The truth is that it's pervasive in our society. It's pervasive within the climate movement. And so for me, I've worked with, I don't even know how many doctors and psychiatrists and therapists over the years to try to figure out what was going on and kind of been on like a rotating cocktail of different medications and treatment plans. And I just never felt like I had the right answers, the right diagnosis, or that I found the right doctor. But recently I found an amazing psychiatrist. I was really excited that I got a diagnosis that I feel is probably accurate and I'm now on a path to figuring out a treatment plan that not only deals with the symptoms, but also the root problems. If you are someone who likewise struggles with mental health challenges, um, I hear you, I am with you, I am one of you, and you know, stay strong, fight for yourself, take care of yourself, because we need everybody in this fight. Thanks to
1: the great band River Wireless for our theme music uh, and to our sponsor, The Sierra Club.
0: This episode was produced by Allison Wilson, and we are distributed by Critical Frequency. Y'all please subscribe to us on Apple
1: Podcasts, leave a review, um, tell your friends. It is what helps us get the word out and helps other people find our show.
0: And join the conversation between episodes by following us on Twitter, NPLH Podcast.
1: And remember, there is no place like home.